Well, good morning. As Jeff said, I'm Cameron Sparks. I'm the youth pastor here at Dallas Bible Church, and I love my job very much. I also love the opportunity to get to preach. Aaron Armstrong, our senior pastor, he's very generous in, in sharing the pulpit and, and letting me preach, especially when our youth mess with him, which we've done quite a bit recently. I don't know if you were here on the Sunday when he shared about one of our pranks, <clears throat> but uh, some of our students, I had nothing to do with it, of course. Some of our students took a whole bunch of election signs after the election, probably a hundred signs, and filled his yard with them. And he shared about it, and my favorite thing about it was Caleb's reaction, because he came out in the morning and Caleb was just fascinated and didn't understand and had all these questions for Aaron. And, you know, Aaron explained to him, you know, well, it, it's a prank, you know, They're, they did it to be funny. And, and Caleb was like, what's funny about it? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I love this question he asked. He goes, Dad, where are all the American flags? I was like, of course there should be American flags. Like, why wouldn't there be American flags? And so when we heard about that, and side note, a little plug, we're doing our own DBC yard signs now. You can get them. Um, we thought it would be fun to create Aaron's own political yard sign for his campaign. My youth, of course, again, I had nothing to do with it. But we made this sign for him. Vote Armstrong. Uh, his arms may not be strong, but his values sure are. And then, of course, the, the quote from Aaron quoting himself, a vote for me is a vote for Jesus. And so one night we, we put this in his yard uh, late at night and, of course, <laughs> surrounded it with American flags. So somehow I still have a job. I think it's really Aaron's just keeping me nearby to get me back. Uh, I'm pretty terrified. I haven't slept in weeks. I actually fully expected me preaching to be a prank. I expected to show up and not actually be preaching. I have nothing prepared, winging it. Uh, we'll see how this goes. It'll be interesting. But keep an eye on my back while I'm doing this. I don't see Aaron, and that scares me, okay? I don't see him in here. Uh, but I do really love the opportunity to preach, and I love this season. I love the new year. I love thinking about resolutions. I like looking back on my previous year, thinking about what I want to change, what I want to do differently, what I hope to accomplish uh, in 2019. What do we want this year to look like? That's, that's what we're thinking about this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in to the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your body and we are so grateful to be a part of it and we're grateful to be able to know you and trust you and receive your word and learn about you and we pray through your Holy Spirit you would move in us to believe what you have to tell us this morning. We believe that you are our good and loving Heavenly Father who tells us to come to you and ask our big requests. We praise you and thank you that you want to know what we want. And we pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, enable us to truly believe that you are indeed our good and loving Heavenly Father. Well, this is a special Sunday. This Sunday, we've got our kids in here with us, which is exciting and fun. Um, kids, I hope that you got everything that you asked for for Christmas. Sometimes the best gifts are things we don't ask for. There's a story that lives on in infamy in my own home of the shout and shoot. This was a water gun that I got when I was like eight or nine. And uh, this was like way ahead of its time technologically. This was when people were still like using Nokia cell phones. And this thing had a microphone 
and you would say fire, you would say fire into the microphone and it would shoot a water beam from the headset, right? And so me being a very aggressive and loud nine-year-old, of course, made the natural assumption that the louder us to in on and all our dreams for 2019, I want us to consider what is it that we're asking for from the Lord in 2019, Aaron's been taking us through the Sermon on the Mount, and this text is a different setting, but it's going to sound very similar uh, as Jesus uses a lot of his same teaching uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And this was surprising to me to find this out, but, but we're in Luke 11, and this is the only time in all of the Gospels where Jesus' disciples come to him and ask that him to teach them something. You would think that that would be a regular occurrence. They would be coming to Jesus and say, teach us this, teach us that. But this is actually the only recorded example we have of, of Jesus' disciples coming to him and asking that him to teach them something. And what they ask is for him to teach them how to pray. They want to know how to pray. And we're going to spend our time focused on the parable that Jesus shares with them to explain to them how they are to pray. Let's look at this text. This is Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his shameless audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the first thing Jesus explains to his disciples with this parable is how we ask. He explains the way we are to ask our heavenly Father for things. And to explain this, Jesus gives the disciples a hypothetical. He says, imagine you've had a friend who's on a long journey, and this friend has arrived late at night, and you have nothing to give him. And this would have been a problem they all would understand, as part of their culture really dictates that they be hospitable. Certainly they would want to be hospitable to a friend. So this is a problem that they understand. Something else to know about Jewish culture is that this neighbor who's asleep would have likely been asleep on a mat in the main living area with his entire family on that mat. And so to knock would mean to wake everyone in the house up. And Jesus explains an important detail in verse 8. He says, it's not out of friendship that the neighbor is going to grant this request, but rather because 
you've already had the shameless audacity to knock on the door in the first place. In the middle of the night, you've woken this family up. You've explained your problem to them. You've told them about your friend. You've made your problem their problem. So now, of course, this friend is going to grant your request. And then he says, ask your heavenly father, and it will be given to you. So what's Jesus' point? He's saying, we are to come to God in desperation with our neediest requests. There is a shamelessness to this man's request. He has shamelessly laid his needs before his friend in a desperate way that's guaranteed him the help that he's asking for because he has gone so far in his asking. It's a call to shameless, needy prayer. God has given us permission to ask for big things. And this falls right in line with one of our core values here at DBC. We say that we believe in dependent prayer, not self-sufficiency. And I think one of our biggest hurdles to big, dependent, needy prayers is our self-sufficiency. We think we're okay. It's easy in our culture to get most of our needs fairly simply. We're able to supply most of our needs for ourselves. We think we're doing pretty well. And it leads often to prayers that aren't needy, to quaint, to simple prayers. If you're anything like me, I catch myself praying quaint or dainty prayers. There was a recent poll uh, done on Christians by the Association of Religious Data Archives. Uh, this was a poll done for Christians who believe in the importance of prayer. So they, they focused on a group of people who were already saying, we understand that prayer is important, right? We believe wholeheartedly in the power of prayer. And the study found that the majority of these Christians prayed once a day. So even those who understand the power of prayer, who are saying, yes, we know prayer is important, are praying once a day, shows that we aren't very desperate. Desperation drives prayer. And don't we see this when we have something that we really need to pray for? When someone's sick or something, some kind of tragedy strikes, there's some kind of real need that suddenly presents itself, our prayers become needy. They become desperate. We drop the pretense, right? We drop the piety. We come before our Father desperate. Desperation drives prayer. We have lots of examples of this. One is, you know, when your kids start driving. It's probably going to change your prayer life a little bit. Maybe your daughter's going on her first date, or she's going on her first homecoming, or your kids are going to college for the first time. I still remember being in eighth grade at Cistercian Preparatory School when 9-11 happened. And every class we opened up with a prayer. It seemed like the whole entire nation was praying. Desperation drives prayer. When we really sense our need, it's going to make us pray. It's going to make us come before the Father, drop the daintiness, and pray needy, shameless requests. But that's how our prayer should always be. That's what Jesus is saying here. The reality is every tiny little thing in our life is a gift from God. We need him to be giving us every single thing in our life. All of life is totally and completely outside of our control. 
and in God's hands. So our prayer life says a lot about how we perceive our need for God. And here's the amazing thing, which is so exciting about this text. Jesus is going to explain just who it is. He explains that God is our good and loving Heavenly Father who wants to give us good gifts beyond what we even know to ask for. And he goes on to explain that God loves us not because we are good, not because we are doing enough to earn his love. In fact, he loves us in spite of our evil. And the way Jesus explains this to his disciples, there, there's, there's several things that are funny to me, a little bit funny to me about, about this, because first of all, this happens in, in verses 11 through 13 as Jesus is explaining to his disciples what a father gives to his son, right? And, and first of all, it's, just, it's funny that Jesus would be explaining God's love to them in the first place since Jesus is sitting there as the living, breathing embodiment of God's love for them and for us, right? But then what does he say? He, he says, you who know how to give good gifts even though you are evil, right? Even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts. How much greater will your father's gifts be? Can you imagine sitting around your loved ones or your family members and say, saying, you know, I've got great gifts for you and I love you even though you're evil? You know, this is drastically different to the way that our world thinks about sin and evil. Because the majority of us who believe in some kind of God in the world are thinking, look, I've got to just do enough good to please this God. I've got to make sure that my good outweighs my bad. When I make him angry, I've got to make up for that. I've got to make sure that I'm just doing enough so that he will bless me and so that he will love me and so that my life will go well. We know that Jesus loves his disciples, right? And he's saying, you who are evil. He's calling his disciples, who we could argue are perhaps the best of humanity, the ones who have realized who Jesus is, who have said, we're going to drop everything, we're going to follow this guy, we recognize this guy is special. Jesus is calling them evil, and yet what does he do? He gives his life for them. He spends every hour with them. He teaches them. He, he lives life with them. He shows them the truth. He's there loving them, teaching them with patience and tenderness hour upon hour, day upon day, week upon week. God loves us not because we have earned it. He loves us in spite of our evil. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this love that God has for us. So he invites us to ask here through Jesus, to ask, to seek, to knock. Despite the fact we are sinners. Our loving Father wants our good. He wants to give us good gifts. And this is a promise that we have made to us here through Jesus Christ. God says he will hear our requests and he will answer our requests. But if you're anything like me, this is hard to believe sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, look, I am praying desperate, needy prayers right now, and I'm hearing nothing, or I'm hearing no, right? Sometimes, indeed, we pray desperate, needy prayers. We lay our request before the Father, and the answer we receive is no, or the answer is unclear. Why is that? My pastor 
said this when I was a junior in high school, and it stuck with me. I think he was quoting some other pastor. He says, when you have the wrong request, God says no. When you have the wrong timing, God says slow. When you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request, the timing, and you are right, God says go. So sometimes the answer is no simply because we have the wrong request. We see this in Matthew 16. Jesus explains to his disciples what he's about to do, that he's going to have to die. And Peter says, no, 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 hold on. You can't do that, Lord. We're not going to let that happen. Please don't do that. And then what's Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And Peter's request seems pretty fair. I mean, this is his Lord. He, he believes this guy to be the, the, the Messiah, the coming king who's going to rise to power over Israel. This guy can't die. Jesus, I love you. This isn't what's for you. Right? Please don't do this. But what we know to be true is the one thing that Peter doesn't want to happen is the one thing that he actually needs most in the entire world. Sometimes it's our request that's wrong. And one of my last years at Park City's Presbyterian Church on, on their youth staff, uh, we would go uh, on a mission trip to Hong Kong. It was one of my favorite trips. I'd been like four years. This is the last year I was going to get to go. I had lots of relationships there, lots of students that I was looking forward to seeing. And a couple weeks before the trip, I tore my Achilles tendon. And the doctor, you know, I was hoping I might still be able to go. I was hoping there's a chance I, I could just crutch around, you know, maybe just walk a little less. The doctor said, not a good idea. So I stayed home, they went, and while I was home, I tore my Achilles tendon again, shortly after surgery. And so I was like, okay, God, great plan here. You kept me from being a missionary. You kept me from going to Hong Kong to share the gospel, which is what I think, you know, you want me to be doing. And I stayed so what, I could tear my Achilles tendon again. It was a pretty dark time. I basically did nothing for six months, because that's really all you can do. I sat on a couch when you, when you recover from an Achilles tendon, part of the rehab, you have to stretch the tendon out slowly over time just by walking in a boot. And so, you know, I basically could do nothing but sit on the couch. And meanwhile, I was, you know, kind of right at the edge of my metabolism dying. I was, you know, still eating like I was 18, lots of McDonald's, lots of Whataburger, sucking down Coke like it was my job, right? Meanwhile, I'm, I'm completely, you know, motionless. And so it led to me getting very out of shape. It led to me being really in the worst shape of my life. Uh, and something had to change. And so finally, as, as I got healthier, I went to uh, another guy on our staff, Danny Stimson. And uh, he was kind of in a similar boat. Neither of us had ever really worked out before. Just, you know, played sports for fun or in high school, but never really learned to work out. Neither of us really knew how to work out or, or how to work out well. And so together we went to another guy on the staff whose name was Drew Obenchain. And Drew Obenchain actually had a similar kind of story to me. His trajectory had changed. He was going to try out for the Navy SEALs, and he got an injury, and he came on youth staff at PCPC instead, and so he was in ridiculous shape. And so we came to Drew, and we said, teach us, transform us. And so we started, and we started working out with him three times a week, and the group grew, and it's become a ministry that Drew does full-time now. He calls it Kingdom Workouts. They work out. Um, it's, it's his full-time income. And I grew in my relationship both with Drew and with Danny. And then as I took this job, uh, Danny let us know that, that the duplex next to him had opened up. 
And, you know, he had a relationship with the, the very sweet woman there and explained that we were in ministry and she sold us that house without even putting it on the market. And now I live next to Danny and I get to meet with him once or twice a week and talk youth ministry. He's the youth pastor now at PCPC. Uh, and, and Drew really instilled in me a love for working out and I get to love out. I, get, I, I love to work out. And, and he's, he's set me on a trajectory to one day play for the Dallas Mavericks. That is... That is what I believe. I will in a few years be tossing assists to Luka Doncic. That, that is my bold prayer. We're talking about bold prayers, right? But I was thinking, man, God, how can you take, take this opportunity from me? I was going to share your gospel, right? This is, this is what you should want from me, and, and this is instead what's happened. This doesn't make sense. Sometimes we simply have the wrong request, and we don't understand why it's wrong, because we aren't God. Paul promises us in Romans 8, 32, God is working all things to the good of those who believe in him. God is the only one who knows what is truly to our advantage. And we have to trust him when he says no. Sometimes we just have the wrong timing. So God may say, look, I've got you on this thousand mile journey to get where you're going. And you're Bart Simpson in the back of the car saying, are we there yet, God? Are we there yet, God? And we're 10 minutes in. We've made one turn, right? Sometimes God wants us to wait because he has something better for us in mind. Sometimes God wants to work in us along the way. When I interviewed for this job at DBC, I first met with Brian Radabaugh, and then I met with Aaron Armstrong. I loved both of them. I thought, I thought it went really, really well. I, I was excited about the the opportunity to, to perhaps accept this job. I started to pray about it. I started to think about it. I started to meet with my mentors, with all kinds of pastors, and I, and I didn't hear yes. But I also didn't hear no. I heard nothing for like six months. It went on and on. Eight months, it went on and on. And, and I began to grow angry, confused, unsure of myself, unsure of whether I wanted the job or not. I went through this roller coaster of emotions. Meanwhile, here at DBC, because they decided we're going to really search, we're going to spend some more time searching, they said, you know what, we need someone to step in here temporarily. And they asked Warren Truesdale, who was simply attending here and was actually pretty new here, if he would help out in the youth ministry. That was not on his radar at all. Now he's our middle school pastor. One of the greatest joys of my job is to get to work alongside of him and do ministry with him, and he wouldn't be here if it hadn't taken longer than I wanted it to for DBC to decide. And sure enough, when they did decide and I had come full circle with my emotions and I was ready and excited and I had had a lot of conversations about just how big this job was and just how much it would mean and I fully understood that and I felt prepared for it and the opportunity was given to me. That was right when we knew that we wanted to move and move closer to the church and I had accepted the job and that's right when this duplex opened up right across the street, right next to my friend Danny Stimson, and we got this wonderful house that we love um, that this sweet old woman gave us uh, because she knew that we were Christians and she wanted to help us. God's timing was perfect, and things really couldn't have worked out better in so many ways, better than I really could have ever planned for myself or imagined. Sometimes it's our motivations that are wrong. It's us that's wrong. What Jesus is saying is we're to come to God from a place of desperation, from a place of neediness, from a place of shamelessness. We're to come in humility. 
Jesus shares a similar parable teaching his disciples how to pray and not lose heart in Luke 18. And right after that, he shares another parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee. Two men who go to the temple to pray. And the tax collector is not really the one that you want to be in the story. The Pharisee has things going for him. He's wealthy. He's successful. He's clearly in some kind of position of power. He's saying, God, you're so great. Thank you for giving me so many great things. Thank you for my awesome life. You know, thank you for giving me the piety to be able to give to you. And all the tax collector can do is he can't even look up to God, but he simply prays, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And Jesus explains it's actually the tax collector who comes down justified. And this is where we have to understand that God's definition of thriving is often different than our own. This is where prosperity gospel creeps in. Yes, God wants your success. God wants you to thrive. And what thriving means is total dependency on him. It's not the definition that we often think that it is, right? His definition of thriving is different than our own. And so sometimes it's, it's to change us, it's to grow us that God says no. Sometimes God says no to discipline us. And this is very different from punishment. God does not punish those in Christ. Jesus, his death, his sacrifice on the cross was once and for all the payment for our sin. God does not punish anyone in Christ. Jesus explains this. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We get this mixed up too. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. God is not and does not punish us when things are going wrong. However, what God does do is discipline us, which is an act of love. Discipline is God taking great pains, going to taking great effort and care in the details of our life to ensure that we can share in his holiness and enjoy the fruit of righteousness. When I was maybe like eight or nine, I don't even know if this is a, an actual memory or just a story that I heard told, but my, my older sister, um, we were at a gas station and she took one of those many Milky Way bars and put it in her pocket and, and walked out. And it was like on the way home that my parents found out she had this and we turned around and drove right back to the gas station and my parents made her go in and tell the cashier what had happened and give it back to him. Okay, it was terrifying for me. I don't even know if, if this is a story told to me or, or a memory that I have and it's still terrifying to me to, to imagine, right, as a kid. Right? Why did my parents do that? It wasn't to punish her, right? Punishment would have been calling up the police, you know, 911, we have a vagabond on our hands. Come pick her up. She deserves jail time. She's stolen, right? They're not trying to punish her. They want to teach her a lesson. They wanted to teach her that taking things is wrong. They don't want her taking things. They don't want that to become a pattern in her life. They want to lovingly say, hey, this is not something you want to get into because they want her best life for her. Everything God is doing is for our ultimate good and God's glory. That includes God's discipline. He disciplines us because he loves us. But if you're anything like me, and you're hearing all this, still, it's hard to believe sometimes. It's hard to believe that everything is for our permanent good. And 
What's comforting about this text is that I think Jesus understands that this is going to be hard for us to believe. That's why he gives the example that he gives when he says, look, even an evil father among you knows not to give his son a scorpion. Sometimes it's going to feel like we are receiving a scorpion from God. The answer to our requests will be hard sometimes to accept. Sometimes the answer will be no. Sometimes the answer will be wait. Sometimes that can be really hard, whether it's wait, whether it's no. When we're requesting some kind of bread, some kind of good thing, we have to trust because Jesus tells us so that it's a no or it's a wait from God because what he has for us is better than the bread that we're asking for. And if we understood, we would be asking for exactly what he has for us. But it is hard. It is hard to trust in God's goodness, particularly when we don't understand why something is happening, when something doesn't make sense to our sense of what's good. And so what's incredible in this text, perhaps the greatest part of it all, no doubt, I think, the main point that Jesus wants to make, his closing point here, is that the one thing God promises to give all who ask, all who are asking, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is one of the best, best prayers we can pray when we don't understand something, when something is hard. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, this is hard. This doesn't make sense. Give me your Holy Spirit. We aren't always going to understand. And what's encouraging here is that God doesn't promise us understanding. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to make it makes sense to you when you pray. That's not what he says. What he says is, I will give you an answer. I will give you what you need. And according to Jesus in this parable, God promises the Holy Spirit to those who ask, to those who seek, to those who knock. This is the greatest gift that we could receive in our waiting, in our suffering, in our pain, in the silence. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift the Lord could give us. Romans Five, three through five, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, God's love is made real to us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit preaches God's love and his goodness to our hearts when it's far from us and when it's hard for us to believe in and when it's hard for us to see. When the answer is no, when God feels silent, when we're in pain and we're in suffering, the Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us that we can trust God, that he is indeed good, that he does indeed love us. The Holy Spirit is a preacher to our hearts, preaching God's love, preaching God's goodness. And in him, we have access to all kinds of gifts. We could spend days talking about as scripture unpacks for us, right? It is the Holy Spirit who gives us this reminder 
of God's goodness and his love when it is hardest for us to believe. He turns our suffering into hope. The Holy Spirit grants us access to peace, which I think is a result of this process of understanding God's love and his goodness. Peace which surpasses all understanding, which defies the circumstances we may find ourselves in that are hard. And the greatest thing the Holy Spirit does is it points us to Jesus. It is through Jesus that we gain access to the Holy Spirit. And if you are in Christ, then there is a moment of time that is coming when every prayer request you could ever ask will be answered. And that's when Jesus returns. We could consider praying for Jesus to return to be the ultimate prayer request, the prayer request to end all prayer requests. There is hope coming for all of us, an end to pain and suffering and sin and death. It is coming. It's coming with Jesus, and we have hope in that fact. The Holy Spirit reminds us of that. It's through Jesus we unlock the Holy Spirit. But until that time, remember that God is our good and loving Heavenly Father. He will always hear our requests. And if he's not granting them, it's because his plan is better for our permanent good than this plan that we've created for ourselves in our own head. He gives us better gifts than we even know to ask for. And he does work inside of us that we don't even know that we need through his Holy Spirit. And these things that the Holy Spirit does for us have never meant more to me than they did in 2018 and to my family. On April 20th, my mom uh, found out that she has brain cancer. She has stage 4 glioblastoma. And the circumstances surrounding that, everything that's come from that, all of the things we've had to wrestle through has been incredibly hard. We have lots of questions as a family. It's been devastating at times. And we've had to lean in to God in a way that I, I never have before. And the reality is that I can stand here and wholeheartedly and honestly and truly declare to you that God is good, even in it. He is good. And it's because his Holy Spirit has shown us just what God's doing. There's still lots of things we don't understand. There's still lots of things I don't understand about this, but the, the truth is the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes already in so many ways to be able to see good in so many details. It's through friends, and it's through church. It's through those who have come around us, those who have given us advice, doctors who have shown up, people who have given us various things to think about and understand and pursue all kinds of ways, even in the very beginning and in, in, in the details of, of how it happened. My mom had what's, what's called a focal seizure. It's a very, very minor thing. She was looking at her dishwasher and the lights on the dishwasher, when she looked away, came with her. They, they stayed in her vision. So her vision was holding on to things. It happened again with her, her cell phone. She was looking at her contacts and she looked up and the contacts were on the wall. And so it freaked her out a little bit. This was a Saturday, the day before Easter. And so my dad called a pastor at PCPC that knows a whole lot of people and said, hey, do you, do you happen to know an ophthalmologist we, sh we could just talk to? This was late at night. And he said, here's a number. They called him. He answered. 
And they said, this is, this is what's going on. And he said, you know what, that sounds neurological. You should go to the hospital. And they went to the hospital, and, and it wasn't but a few hours later they had discovered a lesion in my mom's head. And she was getting scans, and they were figuring out what it was and, and what to do about it. And it was barely even a few weeks later when she was having surgery to have it removed, and the doctor was going to biopsy it to figure out just what exactly this was. And literally the day of surgery, as he's doing an MRI to be able to know best how to go in and what he's dealing with, he just decided himself right there, gut decision, that he should probably go in aggressively and remove everything that was there because it was probably not good. And that turned out to be exactly the right call. And he was able to remove all of the tumor, which is extremely rare with this kind of tumor because of how aggressive it is and how fast it grows, yet we caught it so early. And all of these decisions led to it being completely removed. And we were prayerful and we were hopeful. And then it came back. But God continues to work in those details. The Holy Spirit has opened my eyes to the kinds of things that are good in the midst of what we're going through. And the clearest example for me has been this prayer journal that I wrote for my mom. My mom is so encouraging. She, her faith is lifelong. She loves Jesus deeply and tremendously. And anytime I pray for her, no matter what it is, she, you know, her first reaction is, that was such a good prayer. I love you, thank you, you're, you're in the right calling, you know, and she has encouragement for me as she's going through what she's going through, and so I wrote her a prayer journal, and I just filled it with the things that I know to be true of God, and these are things that I believe about his goodness, things that the Holy Spirit has convinced me of about his goodness, and yet, even though I know these things, I believe these things, I communicate these things to our youth, to adults, in the process of writing this, the Holy Spirit came and preached to my heart these truths in a new way. It was like all of my training and teaching up to this point led to this moment. And he doubled down on what I know to be true and I felt it and I lived it and I experienced it in my heart and in my brain in a way that I haven't before. And it's not a one-time thing. It's something I'm looking back on. I'm reading those prayers and I'm just basking in God's goodness to allow me to share these truths with my mom and know she believes them and know the hope that we have in them. And the Holy Spirit did something similar to my mom. She calls it her epiphany. That first day when she was in the MRI machine, she was getting her scan. We didn't know what it was yet. She didn't know what it was. We didn't even know any of this was going on yet. She was scared. It was the day before Easter. Moms, you know, all the planning and things that go into Easter, all the family members, all the food, all these things. She had all these things swirling through her head. Those were just the menial things. There's also the fact this is her brain. What's going to be wrong? What's going on? What could this mean? What could this be? And as she's dealing with all of that and thinking of all of that and, and, and terrified in this machine, she explains, and I've heard her say it maybe four or five times, and every time she, she shares something a little bit different, you know, a little bit more about what she's learned and what God showed her in this moment. It's as if the Holy Spirit continues to work in her through this experience that he gave her. But she says all of her fears, all of her worries, all of her doubts like this in an instant were just stripped away from her. And she was left with the fact that God loves her, that God is good, that this will be good, that she knows she can trust him. And he, he preached that to her heart in a way that doesn't make sense. So that in an instant, she could go in this MRI machine from fear, worry, concern to total and complete peace. I don't, 
fully understand what God is, is doing and, and what he's done and, and why this is happening. But I know that God's using it to draw us closer to him and closer to one another. It's already evident the way that it's brought our family closer together and, and caused us to rely more on him. And it's why I can declare, even if not a single one of our prayer requests from here on out is answered, I know that God is good and he loves us because he gave us Jesus. He gave my mom Jesus. And so even if every single prayer request that we have is answered with a no, I trust God and I know that he's good. Because we serve a God who knows what it is to die. We serve a God who has gone before us in that and has taken away the sting of death. Death is now freedom from our sinful flesh. So no matter what happens and how scary it may be, the reality is my mom could outlive all of us. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what tragedy lies around the corner. And our hope is in Jesus who experienced the worst of human tragedy, the deepest suffering beyond what we could imagine for our sake so that we no longer have to be afraid, so that we now have hope. There is a day coming when things will be made new, set right. And how glorious is that? I know long-term, no matter what, I have eternity to spend with my mom. I'm not losing her. We're not losing each other because we're in Christ. But you know now what our prayer requests will be, what our shameless and bold and dependent prayers will be for 2019. You can bet we will be praying those kinds of prayers. We will be praying for her treatment. We will be praying for the doctors that she sees. We will be praying for my dad, for his wisdom, as he has to navigate all these possible treatments and all these options and all these things that he may or may not, they may or may not want to pursue. We'll be praying for God's wisdom for him. If she needs surgery again, we'll be praying for those surgeons. We'll be praying that her treatment is effective and the tumor shrinks. We'll be praying for a miracle that the, the tumor is, is gone completely. And if surgery happens, we'll be playing, praying that it's removed. We will be praying those bold and dependent prayers, and yet our greatest prayer will be, Jesus, come back. Jesus, return. How glorious is it that we have a good and loving Heavenly Father who tells us, come to me and ask. I want to know your requests. So what is it you are asking for this year? Maybe it's a new job. That you need. Maybe it's a friend's health or, or a family member's health, some kind of tragedy that's happened. Maybe you're praying for freedom from spiritual or physical oppression, freedom from some kind of habitual sin, freedom from some kind of unhealthy pattern in your life. Maybe you're praying for just a renewed vigor for God's word, that the Holy Spirit would work this in your heart and remind you of God's goodness and his love for you so that you can believe this is true in your own heart, in your own life. Maybe you're just simply praying for renewed energy, renewed drive as you pursue a career or as you provide for your family. Maybe you're, you're praying for a broken relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage. Maybe you're just praying for joy in life in 2019. God wants to hear your big and desperate prayers. He is our loving Father who is working all things toward our permanent good and his glory. So what are we asking for? Let's pray.